Peace be with you. It's a pleasure to be here today. If you have your Bible, we're going to be at Matthew 6, verses uh, 5 through 15. And we're actually going to be camped out there for the next six weeks. So if you want to read this in your own time of devotion or of prayer even, um, we're going to be camped out here. We're going to, the, the goal of this series is, the title of it is Lord Teach Us to Pray. And the goal is for us to learn um, what it means to practice prayer and how to do it. And we're even going to be doing some practice today uh, a little bit later on, but I don't want to get ahead of myself and uh, ruin the surprise for you. Uh, all right, if you have your Bibles, um, Matthew 6, starting in verse 5, we're going to read through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Um, as I was preparing this week, um, a little over, I was like reflecting um, over my last year. And I, a year ago, I graduated from seminary, which is like really cool. It was a great accomplishment. Learned a lot. It was really challenging, really hard. Some of it was really useful. Lots of it was not. Um, as education goes. And it was really interesting. Um, I took a little under 30 courses in seminary, 30 classes. Some were challenging, some were not. I did not have a single class on prayer. Not one. You're like, what? We're talking pastors, ministry leaders, missionaries, people who are going into higher education. Not one class on prayer. And if you have a story like me, I grew up in the church. Outside of like Sunday school, learning to pray in Jesus' name, I did not have a lot of teaching on prayer. And my whole life has been in the church. Maybe that's a story like some of you. I didn't even really see it a lot at home either. And I, I'm not saying this to like, oh, church bad, educational institution bad. I'm not saying that. I'm actually saying that to point out something I, I see in the church. I think the church makes a lot of assumptions about prayer. I think it makes a lot of assumptions about people's relationship to prayer. Um, I, I, I just have a couple of those assumptions. I think one assumption is that people in the church are praying. I think we assume that it's like, oh yeah, you're a Christian, you go to church, you pray. That's an assumption. I think in many church contexts, we assume that people have a robust understanding of prayer. 
Like they know what it is. They know how to do it. They know like, oh, here's, here's a type of prayer. Here's, you know, here's where we see prayer throughout history. I also think we assume that prayer is an easy, joyful practice that calms us down. I think the church assumes that. But my observations in the church and even among some of my closest friends is that prayer is a mystery. It causes anxiety. And if we're most honest about it, and some people have been with me, they don't even think it works. I spoke to someone this week about prayer and they were like, yeah, I I can see that. I, I think people pray only when they've exhausted every other option of trying to get whatever they need or desire, whether it's in a traumatic situation or it's just like something that they need or desire in their life. Even though this is the case, I, I honestly, I think prayer is one of the most important aspects of our lives as children of God and as disciples of Jesus. Uh, I, we, we see prayer actually throughout the entire Bible. It's present throughout the entire Old Testament. The, there's an entire book called Psalms. You may be familiar with it. It's literally a book of songs and prayers for people to pray that Israel would have shared corporately has prayers individually and together. Jesus himself is constantly making time for prayer in his life, as we will talk about in a little bit. And he's modeling it for his disciples. The church throughout Acts and the epistles are constantly being instructed by Paul and Peter and James and John to pray. Like some of the instructions are pray without ceasing. Pray and give thanks and make your requests known to God. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God, pray for it, and he'll give it to you. I think the greatest, though, in-depth teaching that we have on prayer is found from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. It's his longest recorded sermon. And that's what we're going to do over the next six weeks. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. We're going to go through each part of it. And since Pastor Matt's on sabbatical, there'll be um, some other people kind of rotating in, and you're going to hear different voices on this aspect of prayer. And I think it's going to be really helpful. The goal of this series is for us to actually like lean into this practice, because if we do, God will move. That's what we see in scripture, at least. We'll learn things about the Lord. We'll learn things about ourselves. And so it's going to help form us more into the image of Christ. It is an essential part of our discipleship. So Today, we're going to focus our attention on the first part of Jesus' teaching on prayer found in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. And it's interesting to me to note the first thing that Jesus is concerned about when he's teaching on prayer, he's two things, just two. You're like, these are strange. His primary and first concerns are location and quantity of words. You're like, what? Shouldn't he talk about like his sovereignty and how he knows everything and what's our relationship to all that? All these mysteries, all these frustrations. How does our prayers even work? Does he receive how he receives them? How God is interacting with us and all that? Could he, could he get to those intricacies? No, he's concerned about where you pray and how many words you use. That's weird. That's strange, at least to me. So we're going to look at each one of these principles The first one we're going to look at is location, verses 5 through 6 in Matthew 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue 
in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus uses strong language about the hypocritical possibility that is possible in public prayer. His emphasis is on a command. Go to your room, shut the door. It's secret. That's what he's looking for. Privacy, intimacy. And, he, and God sees that and he rewards it, actually. We actually see that it's really strange because throughout the entire Bible, this is the way that God is, interacts with so many people throughout the entire Bible. He sends them alone in desolate places and he meets them. In the Old Testament, we see in Genesis 22, Abraham speaks with God as he's going to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Isaac has no idea what's going on. It's just him and Abraham interacting. Genesis 32, Jacob wrestles with God. That's where he gets his hip broken. He wrestles with God when he's running from his brother Esau. Guess where he is? He's alone by a stream by himself. Moses and Midian, he's alone tending sheep and the Lord speaks to him at a burning bush in Exodus 3. He's alone. Samuel, who is called the service of the Lord, it's at night and he's alone and he's lying down in the temple near the Ark of the Covenant. It's in 1 Samuel 3. Elijah in 1 Kings 19 is running from Jezebel and fearing for his life. He's tired He's weary and God speaks to him alone in a cave by himself. Jonah, the prophet, is praying in the temple when God calls him to go to Nineveh. God hears him when he's alone in the belly of a fish. And God schools him on his love, his mercy, and his justice when he's alone outside watching to see if Nineveh is going to be destroyed. There's something powerful about being alone. There's something powerful about privacy with God that changes and forms us. And Jesus is constantly getting alone for prayer with God. And I'm going to list off some tons of passages. Mark 135, early in the morning, Jesus went to a desolate place to pray. Matthew 14, 23, Mark 6, 46, Luke 6, 12. He's on alone. He's all alone praying on a mountain. And Luke 6, 12 says he prayed all night by himself. Luke 5.16, he slips away from a crowd to go pray in the wilderness. Matthew 26, John 17, Mark 14, all show Jesus praying alone in the garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. His disciples even fall asleep. He's alone. There are actually only a few examples of Jesus praying publicly. Isn't that weird? I'll give you three. One was at his baptism in Luke 3.21. Another one is when he's blessing the food to feed 5,000 people. He looks up to heaven, he blesses the food. And then the third one, which is really weird, is when he raises Lazarus from the dead in John 11, verses 40 and 42. He actually prays out loud, but he says this weird phrase in it like, hey, I'm only saying this out loud so other people can hear it and know who I am. I already know who I am. I know who I am. I'm yours. I'm your son. I'm only saying it so these people can hear it. It's almost like he's like, I guess I'm going to pray it publicly so everybody else can partake in this goodness. 
I think it's clear that the Bible shows a clear pattern of showing us that God moves and he works when we're alone by ourselves in prayer. And it's important to note, there's this, the, this phrase, and your father who's in secret will reward you. If, you. if you have your Bible on you and you go back up to verses one through four, it's literally the same phrase when he's talking about charity. He's talking about helping the poor and showing mercy to the poor. This is like that idea of like your private prayer and your private practice, right? The, the theologian Ronald Rawheiser says it's private prayer and private integrity. He actually says it like this. Jesus's invitation to him in private in the depths of our hearts is the concomitant invitation to keep the private depths of our hearts honest and integral. Simply stated, Jesus tells us that if anyone loves me, he or she will keep my commandments. In the gospels, fidelity to keeping the commandments is one of the major criteria to discern whether or not our private prayer is real or whether it is an illusion, or worse, still a form of rationalization. Our prayers honest only when our lives back it up. Obviously, Jesus using the same language sees a connection between our desire to do good works, helping the poor, and our prayers, both private, both done in secret. We can do all the public works in the world, but if we're, if we're not alone with God, if we're not relating to God on a personal, intimate level, we actually might not be doing any work in his name. But we can't dismiss this language that Jesus uses in verse six, go into your room and shut the door. I think it, it, this is, it's not something cryptic or figurative necessarily. I actually think he's, it's a literal command that Jesus wants us to practice in prayer. There, the room itself, like the door in the room might be figurative, but the command I think is literal. I think we need to find a place, you and I. We need to find a place where we're alone. I don't know if that's like necessarily literally a room and a door, a closet. I've heard people say the prayer closet, right? For some of you, it might be outside, your car. For me, it's, it's my office at home. There's a particular chair. I have these great double doors that I can shut out my kids and my wife uh, lovingly. But I, in the most like, I've had such intimate time with God in that room and it's just for me and him. God has worked out, I've worked out so many things with God. I've also, I'm still working things out with God. I, I don't, I'm still learning this idea of prayer. It's a, it's a private place. Sometimes I play music. I'm not very good at guitar, but I, I, I'll sing. It's just for me and God. It's private. And in a particular chair, I, God has worked out things in me that have shaped me and are sharpening me. It's also my place here at work in the office upstairs. Close the door, get alone with God in moments so that I don't know what to do or say, or just to, to have peace when I'm feeling anxious. Uh, when I first came to the Oaks, I had a 40-minute commute one way. I don't recommend that. But there's something, we've, we've, since we've moved to Middletown, I kind of miss part of that commute because I had time with God every day for 40 minutes. I turned the radio off sometimes. Sometimes I have music on and I would sit with God. I would give him my heart every day. I, and part of me, I, I don't miss the like, 
filling up my gas tank and the wear and tear of my car, but I do miss that time with God a little bit. So I've had to like find a new place where I can get that as well. I, I think the times with God in these spaces are, are some of the greatest joys, greatest heartaches and questions in my life have shown up and God has, has, has seen me and, and loved me in beautiful ways that are so intimate, I can't share them with you. One theologian actually said, he's like, hey, like my time in prayer is like actually inti- like intimacy with my wife. I'll paraphrase what he said. It's like physical intimacy with my wife. It's just for us. I can't share it. That's how intimate prayer is with God. So where's your place? I, I, w- I wanna encourage you and challenge you this week or in the next few weeks, like find a place where you can get alone. Maybe it's outside. Maybe it's a room. Shut the door. Get alone with God and see how he works in you. The second, first we have location. The second thing that Jesus is concerned about is our quantity of words. Matthew 6, 7, and 8 says this, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I think this principle is like the most loving, most beautiful thing that Jesus could tell his people. It takes all the air out of praying. It takes all this stress out of it. In fact, Jesus is so concerned about having a limited quantity of words. The model prayer in Greek has less than 60 words and articles in it in Greek. It's like 57 words. That's it. I've sent text messages longer than that. I've received them longer, like that's emails. That's Jesus's prayers that short. Peter Grigg, who's a, uh, who wrote a book, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People, which influences sermon series quite a bit. He said it this way, having advocated simplicity in prayer, he modeled it with a short rhyming prototype that takes about 30 seconds to recite in English and fits in a single tweet. As Archbishop Justin Welby says, the Lord's Prayer is simple enough to be memorized by small children and yet profound enough to sustain a whole lifetime of prayer. Don't worry about what you, what you have to say. Don't worry if it's enough or if you know enough. Don't worry if your words are fully right. I think a lot of people like this, this idea of like Jesus knowing what you're going to pray. Your father in heaven knows you. He knows what you need before you ask it. I think that actually deters a lot of people from prayer. It, I, I think it keeps people from prayer in a lot of ways. But actually, if you think about it, think about the, the deepest, closest relationships in your life. I think of my closest friends, the people that know me best. My wife knows me so intimately and well. Who am I sharing the most with? I can go home and I can share and I can be open. I can be honest. They already know what I'm going through even. God is no different. Actually, the people that we are, have most intimacy, most closest with, have closest relationship to are the people that know us best. And God knows you more than you even know yourself. Do you think we're going to take God by surprise? Prayer is not an information session to God. He knows. He knows. 
you can actually be honest and learn from him and share with him everything because he already is there. And he's letting you process it with him. But I let's let's kind of put all of these ideas together, location, quantity of words. Ultimately, we have to ask this question: why is why is Jesus first concerned location and how many words we use? Why is that so important to him? I it's really weird. Of all the things he could teach on prayer, that's what he leans in on first before he teaches us how to pray. I think Jesus is actually doing something really marvelous. He's actually getting and attacking the greatest enemy to our relationship to God. I think our greatest enemy is performance. I think our greatest enemy to our relationship with God is performance. And Jesus is taking all performance out of prayer. There's, it's not, you don't have to show up. You don't have to show up in any, any particular type of way. Actually, I would argue that prayer is the most gospel thing that you can do. There is nothing to prove to God. There's nothing you have to do. You're in. Your prayers are heard. In fact, the very first words of the model prayer that Jesus gives, what is it? It's Father. You're in the family. You're a child of God. If you claim Christ, you're a child of God. You're a son or a daughter. Nothing you have to prove. I, I like think about this idea. I think of the first time I held my, my daughter, Lucy. New parent, first kid, wrapped up, still with mucus and gross stuff on it, on her. She's just gross. Like it's, she's like, all she does is like, she can't even open her eyes yet. She, she's pooping. It's, she's just sitting there. She performs in no way, form or fashion, but I love her. She's in, she's mine. And even as she gets older and she shares things with me, she, don't have to, she has nothing to prove. Same with all my kids. They have nothing to prove. They're in, they're mine. I love them. They can share anything with me. God's no different. He's your father. You're in. There's nothing to perform. I think prayer is a space where you can know God and be known by him. It is where you can remember his love in the most exciting and most traumatic events of your life. I think prayer is where we learn about the attributes of God. We learn about his love. We learn about his justice, his knowledge, and his presence in our lives. And this is why theologian Frederick Bruner, he summarized the entire passage that we just talked about in two simple phrases. He's a better preacher than me. He says this, no show for he spies. Not much for he's wise. And I think this kind of encompasses how we, our relationship to prayer. So this series, like it's one thing to talk about prayer. We're actually like, the goal of this series is to practice. And so we're going to do that. And this is going to be maybe kind of awkward for some of you. That's okay. Embrace the awkward. Um, we're going to pray together. And the goal of this is to help you have a format 
for your own private prayer. We prayed corporately earlier, as Mike said. We're gonna, this is an individual time of prayer for you. This is an individual time of prayer. We're actually going to have, Philip's going to come up and play music for us. And we're going we're gonna to use a, a system of prayer that's based off the Lord's Prayer. Um, it's from this book that I mentioned earlier, How to Pray. And it's just, it's, it's Christian and corny. It's an acronym prayer, right? We have to, we can lean into our corniness. And it's, it's got four parts. P, R-A-Y. Prayer is, it starts with presence. The second part is rejoice. The third part is ask. And lastly, we yield. And so the way this is going to work is I'm going to like walk us through some prayer prompts. We're going to have music playing, but it's going to be mostly silent time for you. I want you to get into a posture that's comfortable for you. Um, if that's eyes closed, lights will be dimmed a little bit. Um, if it's like a receiving posture, if you journal, if you want to write things down, um, and this may be really strange in our context. If you want to turn around and be on your knees in front of your chair, that's okay as well. Whatever you're feeling, however you feel comfortable and relaxing for this time, it's going to be about six to eight minutes. We're just going to lean into this time. Um, and I'm going to give you some prompts that are going to lead us through this movement. Um, and I don't know what God's going to do in this time. I don't know. I hope this spurs you on and gives you a desire to pray on your own and gives you a helpful f- like framework for how to practice. This is all based on the Lord's Prayer. After that time, we're going to enter into communion directly. I'm going to pray over communion. If you are a Christian, you are welcome to take communion today. If you are not a Christian, I... I encourage you to use this time in prayer. Talk to God about whatever it is you're in your relationship to him. Do you need him? Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Is there a desire there for you? We ask that you don't take communion today if you're not a Christian. But if you are, we're going to take this after our time of prayer. Um, there's a gluten-free station on this side. Um, we ask that you don't come up for communion until... Um, you see people at the station and singing starts as well, okay? So before we enter our time of prayer, um, we're just gonna take some deep breaths, relax our bodies, and we're just, um, just be silent before the Lord. And then I'll enter into those prayer prompts. Let's pray.